Hello everybody and welcome to Red Rum Mysteries. Tonight's case will be on Jonathan Luna. You may have never heard of him and you'll soon know why that may be. Jonathan Paul Luna was born on October 21st, 1965 to an African-American mother and a Filipino father. Oftentimes referred to as Joey, he was raised in a housing project in the South Bronx of New York City, but he wouldn't become a product of his environment. He worked very hard from a young age to have a bright future and avoided all the gangs and drugs that surrounded him on a daily basis. Instead of giving in to peer pressure, he had a passion for running and studying. Jonathan really excelled in school and because of this, he was accepted into the University of North Carolina School of Law and graduated in 1992. Jonathan married Angela Hopkins on August 29, 1993 and went on to have two kids with her. Jonathan then went on to work at Arnold and Porter in Washington, D.C. from 1993 to 1994 and then the Federal Trade Commission from 1994 to 1997. Luna also served as a prosecutor in Brooklyn, New York City before moving to Baltimore, Maryland to become an assistant U.S. attorney. Baltimore was a very tough and dark city at this time, averaging over 200 murders a year. Drugs were oftentimes the cause of such bloodshed. There was also a lot of talk of corruption within the police force as well as many other city agencies. Jonathan usually handled all the worst of the worst cases, ranging from drug dealers and murderers all the way to pedophiles. One of those cases just so happened to be that of two drug dealers called Dion Smith and Walter Poindexter, and the witness that was testifying against them, Warren Grace. Warren worked for Poindexter and had even done time in the past related to his work for Poindexter. Warren was arrested yet again, this time with Poindexter, but chose to cut a deal. Warren worked for Poindexter, but Poindexter worked for Dion Smith, who just so happened to be a small-time rapper slash drug dealer slash producer. Warren then tells the police of the murder of Alvin Jones, an associate of Poindexter's in 2001. The FBI is later notified of Warren's story and just couldn't resist. Jonathan Luna meets with Warren to arrange a deal for his testimony. He then accepts and pleads guilty and is later released to a halfway house as an informant. Warren Grace would remain free as long as he followed all the conditions of his sentencing. But of course, Warren had other plans. He quickly went back to shootouts, selling drugs, and constantly removing his ankle monitor. Warren was free to do as he pleased as long as he still worked with the FBI setting up Dion Smith and Walter Poindexter. The FBI letting this not only happen was a crime in itself, which would also have an impact on the Smith and Poindexter trial. This case was the exact case Jonathan would be working at the time of his death. Jonathan was also allegedly being investigated for the disappearance of $38,000 in untraceable bills 
which was also related to the Dion, Smith, and Poindexter trial. This 38,000 is often confused with 36,000 missing dollars, which was a false statement produced by the media. On the night of December 4, 2003, Jonathan Paul Luna's life would take a complete detour. He had been working late night at the Baltimore courthouse on pleas for the Smith and Poindexter case, which should have been ready by the next morning. Now the reason Jonathan was even working on these pleas is because the defense had raised the issue of Warren Grace breaking the law while still being able to inform on others. Pleas were suggested so Jonathan and a fellow co-worker wouldn't be investigated for mishandling of the case. Jonathan had already completed the plea for Mr. Smith when he called a co-worker around 9 p.m., letting him know he'd be heading out soon. Now, him saying this is really weird because he didn't end up leaving until over two hours later at 11.38 p.m. He also left behind his phone as well as his glasses, which he couldn't see without. These weren't just strange coincidences, something fishy was definitely going on. He headed northeast on I-95, passing several toll booths on his drive. He used his easy pass to get through the first few toll booths, but then he switched to paying for paper tickets. Why the sudden change? At 12.57 a.m., $200 was withdrawn from Mr. Luna's bank account at an ATM at JFK Plaza Service Center in Newark, Delaware. Then at 2.47 a.m., an electronic fingerprint confirms he crossed the Delaware River Toll Bridge. A half hour later, his debit card activity shows he purchased gas at the King of Prussia Service Center. The last known time stamp location for him was at 4.04 a.m. when his car exited the turnpike at the Reading-Lancaster Interchange. A spot of blood was later seen on his last toll booth ticket, proving that Mr. Luna may have already been injured. At 5.30 a.m., Jonathan's car was found parked at 1439 Dry Tavern Road in Denver, Pennsylvania. A passing motorist noticed the seemingly abandoned vehicle with its lights off but still running with blood smeared on the driver's door. The front end of the car was also in a creek and more blood was found smeared on the left side of the car. Jonathan was then found face down in the stream underneath the car. He was still fully dressed in his suit with his court badge still around his neck. Authorities arrived later and started investigating the scene, finding a pool of blood in the car on the rear floorboards. They also found that Mr. Luna had been stabbed 36 times and his hands were nearly shredded to pieces with defensive wounds. His genitals had also been mutilated. Keep all of this in mind. Jonathan's 36 stab wounds, which were mostly around his neck and chest, were said to be from his own pocket knife, 
which coincidentally wouldn't be found until two months later in a previously searched area. Despite all these injuries, Jonathan's cause of death was actually caused by drowning. Cash was found thrown around Mr. Luna's car, although it wasn't a substantial amount, it was enough for police to rule out robbery as a motive. More than one coroner ruled Jonathan's death as a homicide, with a third coroner saying they were being pressured to rule his death as a suicide. Days after his death, it was leaked to the media that Mr. Luna may have been involved in the disappearance of $36,000. Rumors of multiple affairs and dating site profiles also began to swirl. Stories of large debts and work confrontations also began to allegedly surface, seeming as if someone was trying to tarnish his reputation. The FBI also later tried to clarify that Mr. Luna's death wasn't work-related and maybe that of a love affair gone awry. Now, how could that be if Mr. Luna had allegedly committed suicide? In the following years, more and more stories bashing Mr. Luna would come out. The investigation is said to be still ongoing with a $100,000 reward for any information leading to the case being solved. No motives or suspects have ever been named. Walter Poindexter and Dion Smith were also never convicted of the murder of Alvin Jones as plea agreements were handed out the very next morning after Mr. Luna's death. There were a lot of people that benefited with Mr. Luna being gone, which makes it harder and harder to believe that his death was just a suicide. The autopsy files have also never been released. In my opinion, I don't think that this case will ever be solved, and I also don't think the FBI is releasing all the information needed to solve it. Maybe it's to protect themselves. What could they possibly be trying to hide? If you have any information or comments on this case, don't hesitate to reach out to me. Until next time, stay safe and stay vigilant, my friends.